I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. And those of you that are watching from home, I know we have quite a few people online today. We have several groups that went completely back online because of kind of a little uh, uh, COVID challenge in the life of our church. But, uh, uh, but you know what? I'm grateful that we get to have this moment to do this, uh, even connect in your home. So we're so glad you're here. That verse that you just saw, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, can I challenge you and remind you of the challenge to memorize that passage? Uh, do not forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but, but, uh, but all the more. You know, like, we need to come together all the more as we see the day approaching. And, and like, I, I'm grateful for a day that, that we can, even when we're having a moment we can, where we, some have to be at home, that we can, um, we can still connect Together, so one of our one of our practices is, is is that we stand as we read the Word of God. So even if you're at home, I want to challenge you to stand in your living room, and uh, let's let's stand together and read Galatians chapter five. If you have your Bibles open there, or or turn them on, you could turn your Bibles on. Right, that's kind of the day we're in. If you have your your iPad or your device, and my sweet daughter has her phone, so she's going to turn her Bible on, um, and uh, let's. Uh, Look at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you do that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ, Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. And um, thanks for doing that. I think it's, I think it's important to, to honor the word of God because it's revelation of God. It's, it's God's revelation of himself to us. And that's why we must be intentional about turning our face to what the Word of God says. And over the past several months, we've been in this series called The Church to Gather in a Changing World. And I think it's very important for us to, to turn our face to this doctrinal study of the church. And we have one more week. Next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you're at home, uh, you might make some plans for that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So if you're at home next week, let's do it with us at home, and uh, we'll just give that a shot. Uh, but we're going to be doing that next week um, as we wrap up this series on the church. But um, 
But you know, it's obvious that the world is changing, isn't it? It's obvious. Tom Rainer is a guy that I like to read some, and he's kind of... He's kind of brought up the discussion about COVID that is, is, it's kind of a debate. Is this an interruption or is it a disruption? Now think about that. An interruption means, according to Tom Rainer, he says an interruption is that it's going to all get back to normal as soon as we get through this, if it's an interruption. Or if it's a disruption, then it's, we're in for a new normal. And I think Tom Rainer's right. I think what we're experiencing right with the uppercut of 2020, that's what I feel like 2020 is. It's like an uppercut. I don't know if you ever had been sucker punched before, but I feel like we've all been sucker punched by 2020. And, and when I think about this, I'm so glad Steve's back. I mean, Steve, it's awesome. Because um, uh, when he starts talking to me, I just start preaching longer. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'll try not to do that. But um, but, but you know what? I believe where we've been, we're in a disruption. I don't think it's going to go back to what it was. And, and, but but here's, here's the thing. As we have been through this study, there's some things that we've learned. And I kind of want to just summarize it a little bit. We've, we've come to understand that, that the church will, um, will continue until Christ returns. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 16, we looked at that, that, that even Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And until Christ returns, what we are doing here will never cease to make an impact. It will continue to impact through every uh, shift in culture, everything. And, and, um, and, and you know, the, the second thing we've learned is that, is that the church, in the church, in, in what God is doing among us, there's power. There's focus, there's purpose that we discover. And that's what we come to see in the church, that, that God moves us to, even from the first time with the disciples, as they were having this monumental task to go into Roman society and start the church, that God gave them power. God gave them focus. God gave them purpose in the midst of persecution and difficulty. And this has happened through every cultural shift in the history of the world. The church has remained powerful. The church has remained um, with a, has, has continued with a focus and, and has continued to make an impact. And we've, we've seen this as, as, as the church has lived out its purpose. And I believe that we'll do the same in the midst of the sucker punch of 2020. We've also learned that the church is charged with the gospel. And the gospel will never fail. It will always advance. That the people will come to Christ. And this is the truth. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if you're, I hope this is true for you, but, but I am thankful that the Holy Spirit saved me, that God saved me. God saved me. And, and, and I know that many of, of you are like me in the room today. God saved you. There was a moment that, that God spoke to you, that God drew you, that God came to you, that God opened your eyes. He, he didn't just make your life better, he made you alive. He brought you from death to life. And, and, and God came to you. And then, and then you naturally, like me, responded with, I'm gonna trust him, I'm gonna put my faith in him. And, and, and that happened to me. And I'm so grateful that that, that that happened. And many of you can say, yeah, yeah, me too. That happened to me. And, and we're all like 
cool. That's amazing. And you know what happened in that moment? The very moment that you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit goes, moved into you. And, and saved you and washed you and, and the Holy Spirit indwells you like he does me. And in, the, in that, there's power and there's strength and there's focus and there's purpose. And I want you to look at a, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 1. Look over at Ephesians 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. This describes the moment of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, the moment of salvation. It says this in Ephesians 1. 13 and 14, it says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And it's like, it's like what happened the second you were saved, the, the second I was saved, the Holy Spirit marked me. The Holy Spirit lives in me and came into me. And, and, and in some ways it's controversial because there's a lot of people that think, well, and it's natural to have this controversy that there's a lot of people that think, well, I got to do something to get God's favor. I got to do something to get God to accept me. I got to be religious. I got to jump through some hoops. I got I to work on this. Just a few years ago, I did a funeral of a guy in our church. And his grandson, we were talking about salvation, how God had saved this man. And he goes, you know what? I don't buy that, that my grandpa didn't have to do anything to receive salvation. And I'm like, well, that's what the Bible says. And, and, and the reality is, as we come to know the word of God, as we come to understand the revealed word of God, we understand the holiness of God is so holy, is so big that, that we, when you really see that, you go, okay, I get it. I can't be good enough to get that standard. We also know that our sinfulness is so junky and so terrible and so deep in our hearts that we go, okay, I can't fix that either. And I need the Lord to change me. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And when you look at God's word, it reveals this. And then this, this guy that said to me, Chris, I, I, don't, I don't think you can, you got to do stuff to, to obtain salvation and you got to do stuff to keep your salvation. Well, the Bible reveals that I can't earn it and I can't keep it. In fact, John 10, 28 is this description of this incredible, the incredible grip of God. That, that, that he holds us in his hand. And his grip is bigger than my grip and better than my grip. And this is the beauty of salvation. But, and, and here's the truth, that because the Holy Spirit lives in me, and for those of you that know Christ as your Savior, behold, because the Holy Spirit is in you, he'll never leave you. He'll speak to you. He'll, he's marked you. He'll work in you in spite of you. He'll... Um, I love it that God doesn't abandon his kids. He doesn't. And this is, and as the Holy Spirit interacts with us, here's what I found. As the Holy Spirit has interacted with me, it has compelled me to serve him. As, as I have come to recognize my sinfulness and, and the gift of salvation, I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to serve him, right? Isn't that, isn't that your story? I mean, I mean, once you really come to understand my sinfulness and your sinfulness, and we come to understand the holiness and say, goodness, we were included in this, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I'm compelled to serve the Lord. 
And you know, as I think back on my life, it's in the local church where God planted me that I grew and I learned what it was like to work from my salvation, not for my salvation. And, and it's in the church that I came to know Christ as Savior, that, it, that it, was, it was where I learned to listen to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. It's through this community that we learn how to listen to the Lord. It's, we, it's through this gathering together that we learn how to walk with the Lord. And this is one of our greatest gifts that I don't want us to miss. That it's our gathering together, whether we have to figure it out online or whether it's in person, that it's in this gathering that God gives us the skills to live in this place during these days, walking by the Spirit. And folks, I got to tell you, one of the things that COVID has revealed to me is that life's too short and these days are too critical for us to not walk by the Spirit. And so... As I think about Galatians 5, look at verse 16. And point one, if you're following along in your notes, is this. It's living under the control of the Spirit is more likely when we stick together, right? That's what I found in the church, that, that living under, living together, sticking together is, is one of the ways I've learned to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. It says, but I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this is the sanctification reality. Okay, you know what sanctification means, right? It describes that process of growing up in our faith. That's sanctification. And the Holy Spirit grows us. And, and, and growing up is fun to watch, isn't it? I mean, Brad Ayler and I are have been friends for a long time. We played tennis together at OBU and we'd always mouth off to each other and we'd always push one another and, and, and we, were, we were always competing against one another. Well, I, it's been so fun to, to work on staff with him for the last almost 10 years and nine years. And, uh, um, but one of the things that we've been able to experience is not only our time together, but our sons played tennis. And that was super fun to watch our sons grow up playing tennis. And, and I walked into Brad's office the other day and I pointed out the sanctification process that was just instantaneously revealed in front of his eyes. And, and it was awesome because Andrew right here on the front row beat him for the first time on the tennis court the other day. And you know what Brad said? You know what Andrew told me? Andrew said, you know, Brad, my dad said it was the racket. It was a bad racket. And I was like, what? I walked into Brad's office the other day and I said, hey, I got one thing to say to you. Don't ever make an, make an excuse about a racket. He beats you. Deal with it. And I just walked out. You know, growing is fun. It's fun to see. And sometimes you see that instantaneous growth like when Andrew beat Brad. And so let's all help Brad grow in his pride. By, so please bring it up to him that we can rem, he can remember this and, and grow in his walk with the Lord. So let's do that together. Um, but, but, you know, most, sometimes your sanctification is instantaneous, but sometimes we don't see our spiritual growth, do we? It's like, it's like I, my son, when he, he beat me too, is in high school and it was a super fun day. But, but I remember one day looking, looking at my son and going, you are taller than me. And, and it was that moment that he's taller than me. And so I threw him on the ground and just reminded him that I could still whip him. But, but, but you know, uh, sometimes that, that growth is gradual. 
that we don't really see it. And spiritually, it's the same. Sometimes you see these spurts of growth that you can recognize, and sometimes you just kind of grow up. And, and, um, but spiritual growth is, is important. And when it comes to spiritual growth, and I want you to hear this, when it comes to spiritual growth, the Holy Spirit is the primary person behind our sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And just like we can't save ourselves, we can't sanctify ourselves. But once you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit begins to work. Now notice Galatians 5.16. And what I want us to do is embrace the command here. Because we see a very clear command. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So to walk by the Spirit. The word walk here, it describes this continuous action, this uh, regular action. Now, let me be clear about something. This is important. Because although we can look at Bible study and prayer and evangelism witnessing and, and maybe there's some behaviors that the Bible commands for us that we sometimes use as a, well, you're a good Christian and you're not a good Christian. and you're, we, we sometimes look at these outward factors that are, are, are truly marks of a believer, but, but we have to be careful that we're not, um, we're not judging the Spirit's work just by how intensely or how faithfully we do those things. Because walking with the Spirit, now here's what, this is very important. Walking with the Spirit does not come from our performance, but from, from His performance through us by His Spirit. But he says um, something very important. None of us sit on the bench and just say, I'm just going to sit back and wait and just not serve, not walk by the Spirit. The Bible tells us walk by the Spirit. And, and it's like that really important moment in Luke 6, 46, when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Of course, we don't get into legalism, but, but as a follower of Christ, as someone that has been saved, we are compelled to walk by the Spirit, to say, oh, well, I've said, Lord, Lord, but I don't do what he, do what he says, goes against what, what it even means to be a Christian. So the mark of a believer, you see that mark in Romans 8, 9, you, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so when you are saved, the spirit indwells you. Now, I would encourage you with something. My wife has been one of the strongest voices of spiritual growth in, uh, than anybody I've ever known. And uh, she pushes me spiritually. And one of the things that she's pushing me right now to do, along with several of the kids in this room, because there's a, there's a Bible study we do on Sunday nights at our house at 8.30 or so, whenever we do it. Um, and we're, together, we are memorizing Romans 8. And I would challenge you, if you want a doctrinal and a theological snapshot of what it means to walk by the Spirit. If you want to get a glimpse of what the Bible, how the Bible lays that out, I want to challenge you to memorize Romans 8. Now, that's a big task. It's 40 verses. And that's going to take you some time. But I would challenge you to let God write that on your heart. Because that will give you a glimpse of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Let's embrace 
the challenge because of the command, we are to walk by the Spirit. Now, look at verse 17. As we embrace the command, we've got to get ready for the conflict. Because look at the conflict right here, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Romans 5, 6, and 7, and 8 really talk about the, the battle with the law, okay? And we're to be led by the Spirit. We don't, we have a new, um, there's a new covenant in Christ. And, and the Spirit-led life, as we see here, is in constant conflict with the old ways. And as believers, even in Christ, we will battle that sinful nature. Now, when you hear the flesh in Scripture, there, there, there are three big definitions of flesh. When the Bible in general talks about the flesh, there are times the Bible speaks to our body, our flesh and blood, our, our, our body. There are times it speaks to the state of the unsaved, that there may be some here that you haven't been saved. Christ hasn't come into your life. You haven't put your faith in him. You've not come to the Lord. You could do that today. And I pray you will. But, but you haven't had that Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 moment where the Spirit marked you. You know, sometimes when the Bible speaks of flesh, it is dealing with the state of the unsaved. But right here in Galatians 5, it's referring to the moral and spiritual weaknesses and helplessness of human nature that still clings to that old way of life. Because here's what we battle when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gives us a new nature. But we will continue to battle the flesh. And, and we will do this until that glorification moment, that moment that we go to heaven and go be with the Lord. Now, while living here, the life of the believer is full of battles with our sinful nature. But this new nature is in us as believers. And, and uh, we don't always do what we want to do. All of us have moments that we give into the flesh all of us have moments where we recognize the, the battle of the Christian life. And we got to think about how do we battle the flesh? How do we do it? Point number two is the local church is the best environment to overcome every spiritual battle. It's in the local church where I've learned how do I overcome the battle? How do I stop feeding the flesh and start listening to the spirit and walking with the spirit? It's what we do here where we learn that. And you've heard the phrase, right? The devil made me do it. Have you heard that? That phrase? Have we ever blamed the devil for something? That, and, and definitely we see the Satan at work, right? You see that in the world. Ephesians 6, Acts 19, Luke 4 points to the reality that Satan exists. And Satan is a, he's not like God. He's not omniscient. Uh, he's not omnipresent. Um, there's, uh, he's, he can occupy one space at one time. He is one being. He's not like God. Uh, we were kind of laughing this week with our staff because, you know, we have this young and old on staff and, and we were at a meeting the other day and we said, Hey, have you ever heard of Carmen? Who's heard of Carmen? Raise your hand. Who's never heard of Carmen? Ever. Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay. Okay. So, my daughter reluctantly raised her hand because one day we exposed her to all things Carmen. And she's like, are you kidding me? You really like that? Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, Carmen, in his, he was a guy from Tulsa, and he, he's a famous music guy. And he had some fun songs in the 80s and 
I think it was the 80s. Um, 80s were awesome, man. Great hair, great style, all those things. 80s were great. But, um, but Carmen kind of had some of these songs where it's like, oh, Jesus and Satan are battling. And, oh, man, Jesus is down. Oh, Jesus, get up. Oh, come on, is he going to get up? And, uh, and it's really not like that when it comes to the spiritual battle. Because Satan knows he's defeated. He knows who God is. And, uh, and, and in fact, Luke 4 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It speaks to the spiritual battle. Because Luke 4, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and, and uh, so his flesh was weak. And Satan himself came and fought against Jesus. Remember what Luke 4, 11, I believe it says. Uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. And I think that really ticked off our Savior. And I see it playing out like this. Right after Satan said that, I see Jesus going, what'd you just say? And, and I think Satan was like, um. and I think Jesus, I think it played out like this. The Bible says, say, Jesus said to him, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. But I kind of think it went like this. What'd you just say? Hey, let me tell you something. Thou shall not tempt the Lord your God. You get it? I don't know if the Greek says you get it, but, but I think Satan got it. Because what, what does the Bible say next? Satan left him until another opportune time. So we got to recognize that Satan exists and he battles against us and, and that's a reality. But, but here's, the, here's what most of the Bible reveals. That when it comes to us and our battle with Satan and his forces, the Bible really makes it clear that man's basic problem with the spiritual, spiritual attacks is not outside of us. It's inside of us. This is where our real battle is. And that's what Galatians 5 points to. And, and, and we see this, look at verse 19. And I'm not going to take time to break down each one of these sins, but let me just say that this is not a complete list of sins. And we, because as humanity, we get way more creative with sin and, and, and disobedience. And when it comes to the work of the flesh, you can break these down in two groups. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now that first group of sins is dealing with sexual sin. And we understand that sex is the, one of the most sacred acts of, uh, that really is the only human act uh, that has the power of creating human life. And so God instituted the most sacred relationship known to mankind, which is marriage, and said sex needs to be under marriage, under that umbrella of protection and joy. But with our culture, as all through the history of the world, sex is one of these uh, struggles that Satan has distorted into uh, God's original design, and we have a lot of knowledge about sex, but very little wisdom. So you see the sexual sin. You see verse 20 starts the second group, idolatry and sorcery. And the second group, it's interesting because it relates to the traps of man-made religion, which is also a product of our flesh, isn't it? That this man-made pursuits, and, and you gotta understand that Sins of the flesh don't just mess up the purity of our lives. Sins of the flesh also mess up our relationship with God. 
And it causes us to create all kinds of different wacky things. And then look at, uh, then verse 20 continues with this list, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now this third group kind of represents, relates to our human relationships. And so often we make our lives impure by our decisions. We we struggle with our relationship with God because of sins of the flesh, and we hurt one another because of the sins of the flesh. But verse 21 is sobering. Look at it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is one of those sobering moments in Scripture that is meant to be sobering. And I don't want to be a pastor that doesn't, um, that's not honest with you. Like if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've not had that Ephesians 1, 13 moment where you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit has indwelled you. Um, I'm not trying to scare you, but, but the day you draw your last breath, there will not, not be any hope for you. And the Bible very clearly warns us and, and challenges and pleads with us, implores you to come to Christ. Because if you come to him, he won't turn you away, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. But how do we understand this? Because um, look at this, uh, does this struggle means, does it mean if we struggle with these things of the flesh? Because I would argue that when we went through that list, you're like, we're all like, ooh, dang, I struggle with that some. I have some of those. But the key word here is that in the original language is do such things. And a proper translation of the word is practice, which describes this continual, uncaring, flippant practice that really uh, just continuous, just, I don't really give a, a rip if I'm disobedient to God, which is the mark of every unbeliever. But when the Spirit is in you, because the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer, when rebellion takes place, you know what happens? There's discipline. There's conviction. There is divine communication. There's practical frustration with, with the believer when they get into sin. It's like Justin Beatles, a dear friend of mine who's a pastor in Stillwater. And Justin, if you, if you're, if you go to Stillwater, you get, I would challenge you to go to Countryside. I love Justin. I deeply respect him. But when we first met, he was rebelling against the Lord. I became the youth minister at his church. And his parents said, hey, um, you got to come meet this youth minister. I think you'd like him. And he walked in the door and we were like instant friends. He moved home that summer. We just kind of walked together. And, and God used that summer to grab a hold of his heart where today he's a pastor. Now he would tell me about those, that time of rebellion in Stillwater. And there would be times that he, he was a believer. He knew Christ. And he'd lay down on his bed and man, there'd be just this turmoil in his life. That's the Holy Spirit at work, not letting go. And God will never let go of you when he's in your life. He will never leave you where you are. He will put people in your life. He'll create circumstances that will get your attention. And I love it that God never lets go of his kids. And some of you today, you probably walked in the room 
and you're feeding the flesh in your life and you're a believer and you know it. And so can I say something to you? It's time to starve the flesh. What do we do? Well, how do we get off the bench here? We gotta starve the flesh. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And, and when I think about, um, you know, how the Holy Spirit works, he, he uses the church to help us kind of confront the flesh, but he also uses the church to help us live by the Spirit. And so that's why we push one another. We've got to starve the flesh. Seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. I want to get in front of you today and say, look, come on, seek the Lord. Let's turn to the Lord. I mean, and look what happens when you start seeking the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And when you have been enlisted by the Lord and the Holy Spirit's in your life, you're like, you are compelled to serve him. We don't do it all the time. But look at verse 22, because this is what the Spirit produces. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, there are times that we recognize that, that uh, growth instantaneously, and there are times that we look back and recognize that the Spirit accomplished these things in me. But here's what I want us to see is that the Spirit will not stop working in your life until he accomplishes those things. He will not let go of you. And, and we, we understand the deeds of the flesh are not done by our own efforts, whether you're saved or not. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by God in us. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that he doesn't leave us alone? And I want you to see this because it's in the church that I learned how to starve the flesh. It's in the church that I learned how to feed the spirit. And this is why the challenge today, I want us to hear, I want us to feel, I want us to embrace, is the challenge, let's discipline ourselves. Hasn't this COVID uppercut taught us that life's too short and that, that look, these days are too critical? To not walk with the Lord, not walk by the Spirit? Don't you realize that we have power when the Spirit is at work? Oh my goodness. Didn't you hear that song Joe just sang? About Job and about where were you when you, when, where were we when God put Orion in place? Oh yeah, we weren't there. But the fact that he did it, we're like, whoa, he's powerful. He's big. The local church is that strategic resource to a changed life. This is why we got to walk together. This is why we got to, I realize some people walk in the door and go, master, stupid. Get over it. Can I just be your pastor and lovingly say, get over it. Nobody really knows whether, well, the doctors that I know say it's helpful. Not, the, not someone I saw on the internet, but people I know. Let's defer to one another. We met with a young family looking for a church. And they said it means a lot to us. 
that you're asking people to wear a mask. And I'll tell you what, if I can wear a mask and encourage a young family to come into the life of our body who needs our help and needs to walk with us, shouldn't I? Yeah, probably. I probably should. So should you. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, what have we done? We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This isn't the place. We are to provoke one another. We're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, like the verse we're challenged to memorize in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. But look, it's in the gathered church that there's an abundance of the Word of God. That's why we've got to be a church that looks at the Word of God as revelation. It's in the gathered church that there's there's accountability. And a, and a pushing to walk with the Lord. It's in the gathered church. There's transparencies, there's relationships, there's support. And you know what I'm grateful for? That in the midst of all these questions, in the midst of the fears and the worries and the... Because you know what? I was, I was kind of down today coming to church. Not because I was pumped about turning my face to, to this, but I'm like, man, this weekend, we, we, we've got some people in our church that got sick. They're sick right now, really sick. Part of our body. They're really, really sick. And, and I'm burdened for them. There's some at home right now, not because they don't want to come and sit here, not because they're terrified. They're sick. And but we're in it together and this power. Joe, I want you to come up. And we're gonna, I'm gonna let him sing this song. And I don't know which part he's gonna pick. You just feel it right there. But this, this, the questions of Job. I would say maybe we walked in today with some Job-like questions. You tuned in today with some Job-like questions. But don't you realize how powerful the Spirit of God is? Don't you see how he moves us? We, he gives us the opportunity to walk by the Spirit. Oh, my goodness. You know how cool that is? When I sit down and go, Lord, from my seat, I get fearful but then I climb up in the lap of my Savior and go, huh, doesn't seem like it's as bad from his lap. So I'll tell you what, what are you afraid of right now? Can you, here's what I want us to do in this invitation, whether you're online or whether you're in the room, Let's, let's put our fears at the front of our mind right now. 
And then let's climb up in the lap of our Savior. And let's watch and get a glimpse of the power and the blessing, the adventure of getting to walk by the Spirit. So Joe is going to sing, and we're just going to, I'm just going to kind of let you just, if you want to stand, you can. But if you want to just sit and just deal with the Lord, you, you can. But allow him. Let's not miss the moment right here. Let's embrace the moment.